then. Um, so, you know, we've got Theo, Theo's four. Um, you know, obviously at the beginning stages of uh, his reading journey, recognizing letters, beginning to blend letters together to form words. You know, you can go, dog. It's like, yay, you know, those, those, those kind of. Oh, his favorite one at the moment, isn't it? Is oh, <laughs> somewhere at the Theo, you know, but it's not Theo anymore, so that's good. He is doing a fat sound. He enjoys books and pictures, um, and a lot of the stories written for children of his age are all rhymes, because um, it helps them understand and helps them remember. Whereas then we've got Alyssa, who is nine, and she's at the stage where she really just wants to do it herself. She wants to go find a good book and sit in the corner and read, and depending on the book, uh, she can feel confident and just get on with it. Um, but if she has a more challenging book, she'll want me to be around so she can check in about something, whether it's, oh, what does this word mean? Or, or what, does, what does this phrase mean? Or, or how do I say this? Um, whereas Lucas, 12, thinks that reading is just part of what we've got to do, um, but it's not something you do for fun. And when he has to do it, he will, he will, he'll say no. He will admittingly, he admit that he will enjoy it when he gets into a good book. Um, but it's all dependent on the book. But it's not something that he chooses to do, but he's got the skills to be able to pick up, you know, pretty much the majority of any books now and read them and read them well. You know, reading is a foundational skill, isn't it? It's a foundation skill that we have to teach our children. And some of us uh, may struggle with it, some of us may thrive in it, um, but it's something that we all need um, for whatever, whatever we go into in life, we need to be able to read. Um, and sometimes we can take the foundation of that reading for granted. You know, even now I might be reading something and I come across a word, yes, even as an English teacher, that I have never ever seen before. And I have to look at it and I go back to, right, how do I need to build it up? How do you say that? How do I, how do, I do it? So I go back, I build it up, I go back to those foundational skills that I was taught as a four-year-old. I blend it and then I repeat and I repeat and I repeat. Did you know that you need to, guess what I'm going to sound like now, Sam Neil, you need to, um, if you are introduced to a new word, um, it'll take 33 times of reading it and of using it for it to stick. That's a lot of times uh, for new words to be established. So if I see a new word, and if kids see a new word, 33 times for that to become part of their vocabulary, part of who they are, to use it in conversation, to use it um, in, in their kind of written word. I think that's like massive. Um, and when you think of the words that even maybe our four-year-olds are using, our nine-year-olds, our 18-year-olds, you know, all those words, they are foundations that we have put in, that others around them have put in, but it is key to who they are and how they express themselves. So how many of us truly consider and think about our foundations as Christians? What are they? How, the, how, how do they impact our way of living, our decisions and our priorities? Okay. When it comes to understanding our Christian foundations, what they are, or specifically what our foundations are as King's Church, 
You know, I want you to think about who you were most like. Are you like Theo? Are you beginning to explore the idea of foundations? You know, you're enjoying learning new things about Jesus, about what his word says. But you know, you need help and guidance with how to read and understand what those foundations really mean. And actually, how do I put this into practice? Or are you a little bit like Alyssa? You feel like you know enough to go it alone and go a little bit independently. But if you asked, if someone asked you a question about foundations, you'd probably be able to answer them uh, or certainly point them in the right direction. If there are things that you're unsure about, you have people in your life where you'll be able to go and ask their advice, you'll be able to draw from. But you're enjoying your independence and discovering and adventuring with Jesus that you understand that you need the help of others to grow. And then there's Lucas. Our foundation's just there for you. You know, you know this stuff. You've been doing this Christian thing for years. You've done vision and values courses. You've done joining King's Church. You've done this, you've done that. You know the majority of what we believe and can explain to others that, you know, what this is if you really need to, depending on the topic. You know, I feel you know, Paul Lucas get a bit of a, a rough ride here, doesn't he? But he's all right. No matter where you are regarding knowing, understanding and living foundations, it is vital, an integral part of who we are as Christians. It's the plumb line to our lives. You know, they are the underlying basis of who we are. But we can't delve in and grapple um, and understand these foundations without understanding the builder, the cornerstone. You know, James referred earlier um, to the fact that, you know, Queen Elizabeth II was like the cornerstone of this country. Um, that cornerstone is, has been replaced. So, you know, what happens in that situation for us as a, as a society is still to be unveiled and we'll still see how that happens. But for us, you know, our cornerstone has been the same and will be the same forever. So can we please turn to Psalm 118, if you have your Bibles with you. And I'm going to read the whole psalm. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. 
The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live. I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has ch uh, chastised Sorry, <laughs> the Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is good and he has made his light shine on us with bows in his hand during the festal procession. Um, up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. So in Psalm 118, most scholars agree um, that this was used in the early Jewish life in liturgical I can never say this word. See, I was saying it to you earlier. That's the one. I can't. Liturgical. There we go. See, I need to practice it. Liturgical. Processions. Um, so they think maybe when they're entering um, into the temple in Jerusalem. It's still recited today by modern Jews at the end of Passover Testament. And all four Gospels refer back to this psalm at some point. Um, for example, we see it in Matthew 21, verse 9, when Jesus enters Jerusalem and the crowds actually shout, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is a reference to Psalm 180. Verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And, you know, we see a prophetic moment there, don't we, in the Old Testament. It's easy for us to see that now, but back then they would have been declaring this. And many of the Jews may be thinking, what on earth am I saying? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You know, they're speaking about Jesus, aren't they? They're speaking about the salvation that we find in him. In Mark 12, um, we hear about the parable of the tenants. You know, Jesus tells of a man who plants a vineyard. He puts a fence around it, he digs a wine press, and builds a watchtower. You know, the man then leases the vineyard to some tenants, meaning that they get to use the vineyard, but they are required to give the owner a portion of their goods since they do not own it, essentially, they're renting it. Normally, this would be a win-win situation. Since the tenant, tenants would not otherwise have a vineyard to produce crops and make money from. However, these tenants turn out to be um, bad guys. Right? They're, they're, they're a bit naughty. So after the owner has left for some time, he sends out his servants to collect what belongs to him. They've not been giving him, giving him the, their crops. However, the, the wicked kind of tenants abuse the slave and send him back empty-handed. The owner, again, sends more servants. Tenants mistreat them again, even killing some. Finally, the owner sends his son 
We believe they will respect, but the tenants say to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. And that's in Matthew 21 verse 38. So they murder the son. You know, this parable clearly speaks of God and his people. And over the years, God sent so many messengers or prophets to his people, calling them to produce fruit of God's kingdom in their lives, telling them, you're doing wrong, you're going the wrong way, turn around, turn around. You think about all of those Old Testament prophets who were sent to go and bring kind of prophetic messages of, you don't do this, this is what's going to happen, doom and gloom, because they were ignoring the voice of God. But the people rejected the prophets. They didn't listen. Often they beat them up or even killed them. Ultimately, God sent his son. And we know that the people of the time killed Jesus, killed the son in this reference too. And as the parable comes to the close, Jesus quotes again verses from Psalm 118. And he says this um, in Mark 12, 10 to 11. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stones, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. So what is a cornerstone? You know, it's a strange phrase, isn't it? And why, why is Jesus being compared to a bit of stone? You know, in this day and age, buildings shoot up around us, don't they? It's like, if, if nobody's been into city centre for a while, you go there and you won't recognise it, because the amount of buildings that are shooting up um, around the city centre is crazy. Um, you know, there's big estates being built, you see the masses of machinery everywhere, um, it's used to manufacture the, pro the, the products needed, so that everything is the right shape and the right size to build these buildings. You know, but this wasn't the case thousands of years ago in the Middle East. Um, Stonemasons would spend hours trying to find the perfect stone that they could use as the cornerstone. The cornerstone was particularly important and it was, as it was the first stone to be set in place um, in regards to building. The cornerstone was then the foundation of the foundations. It was the first thing that went down. It had to be perfect. It had to be perfect because it was that stone um, that, that would determine the rest of what could be built. Everything lined up to that cornerstone. When Jesus quotes Psalm 118 as reference to himself, the Son of God, the psalm takes on a whole new meaning. The very one who is despised, looked down on and rejected turns out to be the most significant person in all of history. He is the foundation of foundations. And say that again. He is the foundation of all foundations. He is the plumb line, the one who brings direction and purpose to our lives. All our faith is ultimately built on Jesus. In Acts 4, Peter and John are arrested by the priests and the captain of the temple guard because they were teaching the people about Jesus and his resurrection. And they were questioned by the rulers and elders and teachers of the law. And this is what Peter says um, in, what should I say, Acts 4, Acts 4, verse 8 to 12, it says this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and 
elders of the people. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You know, here in the UK, we don't, we don't tend to face kind of um, violent opposition due to our faith. You know, but people all around us are continuing to reject Jesus. There may be those who actively cast him aside as being irrelevant or a fairy tale, or they might just simply fail to acknowledge him, to see his value, thus still being the stone that the builders rejected. The Old Testament psalm is still true today. You know, it's heartbreaking, isn't it, to think how people are throwing away the one opportunity they have to build something of value, to build something of worth that will endure forever. But that, that's what individuals and societies are doing across the world. You know, not acknowledging Jesus as their Lord and King, they're casting aside the cornerstone. And obviously, we can't force people to open their eyes and see Jesus as we see him. But we can ensure that we value him as we should. We must ensure that we give him the proper place in all areas of our lives. Not just once a week on a Sunday. Not, as, not just, you know, as a, a, token, a token stone then that we may refer to every now and then. But he is our very foundation. The foundation to our foundation. The cornerstone that gets to set and regulate every other aspect of our lives. That includes our career plans, our family goals, how and where we spend our money, who we spend our time with, what we watch, what we read, what we listen to, everything. He gets to say everything. He gets a voice into everything. If he truly is your cornerstone, the foundation of a foundation, he gets to say in every matter. It is in and through Jesus, our cornerstone, that we become the people of God. It is because of Jesus that we are saved, because he died and rose again. Because he sent Holy Spirit to fill us and be with us. Because of Jesus, our cornerstone, we see that we are loved sons and daughters. You know, we are the dwelling place of God. That's amazing. We are the dwelling place of God. I'm just going to turn to 1 Peter 2, verse 4 to 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus, through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen, precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are the people of God. We are a holy nation. God's special possession. Why? Because we received Jesus as cornerstone. We made a decision that our lives should line up around him. Our whole lives finds its meaning and purpose in and through him. He has to be your foundation. He has to be your cornerstone. You have to build on him and him alone. He has to become the reference point to everything in your life. So when money is tight, when your health is rubbish, when there's family situations going on with kids, or things are just not where they should be, go to the cornerstone. Go to Jesus. You need to get on your knees and you need to pray. You need to call out to the cornerstone and just say, Jesus, I need you right now. Jesus, I need your wisdom in my life. Jesus, will you come and show me what I need to do to change? I need more of you, Jesus. The decisions that I make about my lifestyle, my behavior, my priorities and purpose, you know, can I truly and honestly say that every single area of every single day, I'm building on Jesus as my cornerstone. And you know, can we say the way we live and function as a, as a church community is built on Jesus, the cornerstone. So in November, um, we are going to be starting um, a new, what we are calling, belonging course. And this is an opportunity for us as everybody who considers themselves as part of King's Church across all communities, we are encouraging everybody to go through what is a foundations course. It has been a very, 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 very long time since we've done anything like this. And things have changed. Emphasis has changed. And it might be that what you thought we thought isn't what we think anymore. Or you've just forgotten. So what's going to happen um, I'll just talk practicalities, I suppose now, because I can. Um, for the month of November, we will not be meeting in huddles and we will not be meeting as Connect. If you want to meet in huddles as well as 
the foundations course, then obviously that's absolutely fine. But for the month of November, the belonging course is taking priority because it's about the cornerstone. There will be two opportunities a week. It's just going to run, I think, for four weeks, okay? But there are going to be two opportunities per week for you to engage with that course. One will be an online, so it'll be done via Zoom. I'm pretty sure that's going to be on a Tuesday evening. But there will be an in-person option, which will predominantly be at our house on a Thursday evening, okay? Um, if you consider yourself to be part of King's Church, we are strongly encouraging you all to get involved in one of those kind of forums, including youth. I'm going to talk to the youth. You are adults now. I'll talk to the one youth this year, but we'll speak about that. Fundamental truths and values that we're building as a church. That's what we're going to be talking about. And you know what? If the foundations are faulty, if I'm saying one thing, somebody else is saying another, someone else is believing and doing something else, that's no foundation. That's wonky ground. And the building is going to come crashing down. You know, thinking, we're going to be thinking about foundations throughout preaching, um, all the way through autumn as well. Um, so even, you know, on a Sunday, we are going to be focusing on it. But the foundation course is not going to be delivered through preaching on a Sunday. It is going to go alongside it. But if you see yourself as part of this church, like I said, we encourage you to come along either on the Tuesday or the Thursday. It will give some of us the opportunity to maybe formalise our commitment to this expression of God's church. Uh, greater clarity will empower more of us to take ownership and responsibility and creativity in how we fulfil God's calling upon us as a local church. Because we'll know, we'll know the cornerstones, we'll know the foundations and there's confidence in that and there's a freedom that comes with that as well. Now Ephesians 2 verse 19 to 22 says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives in his spirit or by his spirit. If we want to be built together, built so we can encourage one another to make a difference in our streets, our workplace, our places of study, if we want to be a dwelling place for his spirit, if we want to see Jesus in us and through us, if we want to offer hope and healing, if we want our lives together in a way, um, if we want to live, sorry, our lives together in a way that brings glory and praise to God, then we have to make sure that we are being built together on the right foundations. You know, Paul mentions there um, the foundation of apostles and prophets. Um, and we are going to look at that in more detail. Um, hopefully Richard will come and do that preach is what we're hoping. Um, but you know, the ministry of an apostle is all about the mission and purpose for which Christ sends us as his people, okay, into our world. 
Apostles are given to keep the, the church true to its fundamental identity and calling. It's commission as sent sons and daughters of God. And we cannot separate mission out as merely part of who we are and what we do. Everything about us is putting the love of God um, found in Jesus on display to the world. That's what we're about. That's who we are. That's part of the core of who God has called us to be. And it's not just when we do Revolution Youth or Eden Cafe, where it's a real kind of ethno... Um, the word. Um, it's, a, it's a real structured kind of outreach type event. It's every single day. When we're meeting our mum who's struggling with her newborn, when we're in the kids on the minibus, when we're in the office, you know, wherever it may be that we are, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. The ministry of the prophet is about proclaiming what God is saying, what God is speaking into our lives and into our world. God's word to us is Jesus and his mission. In Jesus, in which we participate, will lie the heart of all that we have to say, you know, about the foundations, and of course, Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. So I just wanted to think a little bit Back to what I said right at the beginning. So you might be a little bit, I'm going to go backwards. You might be a little bit like Lucas. Quite a lot of us here would consider ourselves like Lucas. The majority of us in this room right now have been part of King's Church for a significant amount of years. If you're thinking right now, oh, not another belonging course, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to go away and pray and allow Holy Spirit to get you excited. To get you excited about how God is going to speak to you. I might actually challenge you about some foundational things that might cause a shift in the way that you live. Oh, are you a little bit like Alyssa? You know, you, you get in there. Maybe you understand a little bit. You, you've been with us for a little while, but actually you don't know what we really think about X, Y, Z. And this will be the opportunity for you to hear, listen, and actually ask questions as well. You get to have your stay. You get to ask questions. It is a dialogue. It's not just about us saying, this is what we believe. There's part of us, you know, saying, casting vision and, and saying, this, this is what we believe. This is why we believe it. But it's not about you then going and thinking, well, what about this? What about that? No, we want to have a dialogue with you. We want to have conversations with you. If you're not sure about something, this is the opportunity for you to grow, to develop. Oh, are you like Theo? You're beginning to explore the idea of foundations. You might know a little bit about what we believe about baptism in the Holy Spirit or baptism of water or even salvation itself, what that means. But this is going to be a really pivotal time for us as a church because we're going to get our foundations right. And when the foundations of the house are right, blessing will come and fruit will grow. So if we want to see 
blessing. If we want to see fruit grow, our hearts need to be in the right place. And we need to be ready for when we start talking about these things. We need to be ready to acknowledge Jesus as our cornerstone. And if there needs to be any shift in any area, we need to be willing to do that. No matter where you are regarding knowing, understanding and living foundations, it is a vital, integral part of who we are as Christians. Jesus, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, he is the plumb line to our lives, the foundation of our foundations. He is the underlying basis of who we are.